0: Hello, welcome back to Front Page Dub for a new season. Hopefully, you guys are just excited as us for this restarting. I had so much fun doing this last year, and now we're back for the twenty
1: twenty three twenty four campaign. Matt, how are you? Oh wow, uh, you know it's it, it's pretty crazy, and that um, we were just saying off air. We've got you know the Asian Cup uh, this this summer, and the Olympics to come. So. Post World Cup, things aren't stopping. The football keeps coming. It keeps coming in a big way and and a good way. And twenty three, twenty four. You know, I'm just really excited to get into the thick of this, especially from a dub perspective. Knowing that uh, what what was the number that was floated around four hundred and eighty eight percent in attendance rises and memberships projected.
0: That's the um, Liberty Pass rise, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it may have been, but I thought it was memberships. Regardless. Could be, could it is, be. It is, we are expecting the biggest dub season of all time, and uh, and that should very much keep all the fans in tune, and and actually a lot of casual fans post-World Cup who are now realising women's football is firmly on the map as well. So it's it's mega, it's exciting, and we're we're ready to go.
0: Not just that women's football is on the map, but also that women's football is brilliant and fun to watch, and it's the reason why we do what we're doing. But before we get stuck into the new season... It's obviously been a massive off-season for the both of us trying to cover the World Cup. If you haven't uh, checked out our World Cup pods, obviously the World Cup's passed, but they're both... not both. All of the episodes, we did four episodes in a special there for you. All of them were fantastic episodes. We both had a lot of fun doing it. What's well, been happening for you in the last month or so? Because, you know, it's probably been the quietest that will be for the next six or seven months. You've been recharging. What have you been up to?
1: Ah... All sorts. Um, I think from a football perspective, look, we've, we've obviously, <laughs> you know, like it, it doesn't stop. It is, it is sort of a, a 24-7 dynamic in that we've had things to, to go and do. I mean, I, I feel like this winter, you know, I, I've just obviously had, had the, the, the pace with the Ollie Ruse and, and, and yeah, having that access, for example. So I don't know. Cody, did it, did it stop? <laughs> I don't well, know. To That's be fair, problem. the
0: moment the World Cup finished, I was either at, um, Australia Cup games, Waratah Cup games, or, my Sunday League sides final series, obviously not the one I played in because my team unfortunately um couldn't lift ourselves further than second last. Great season, but we got a win, that's all that matters. Got one solitary win in there to celebrate, but yeah, it's true, sure, it doesn't stop. Like literally the day after the week after the grand final, I was basically already at City United Brisbane doing work there. Got to speak to a couple of the early coaches actually over the off season. I
1: know I think did you end up talking to Edge by any chance when um Tottenham came to town? Well, that was obviously, that was before the World Cup. That was the week before. Still, I'm asking the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, (laughs) I, I, I got to have a very brief encounter outside the main doors at the WACA with, with Anjan's son, but I'm not, I'm not going to act like I sat there and chatted with them and got to know them well, but I certainly met them and we, we certainly talked. Um, but like, come on. I mean, Rigari was there, you know, the, the big, the big hitters were there. Um, and English media were there as well. Also, yeah. just on a random, random side note, um, the English press, man, the, the, the stuff that they're, I mean, I know there's dub pod and everything, but I just wanted to say the, the English media in, in wake of obviously us hosting the World Cup and, and what's going on with, with Ange Postacoglu, Like, English people have just discovered that Australian football has always been a thing, and it is the single, single greatest thing just to be around to witness uh, in real time. And I think that was, that was for me was something that I was really humble about because I realized in the immediate aftermath of all of that that stuff that went down with Ange and his opening game being in Perth, there is increasingly, uh, Cody, a a lot more respect for Australian football that we've been seeing from the foreign press from my time working uh, sort of through the Ench Bostakoglu series and then knowing that a lot of those foreign press stayed for the month thereafter for the World Cup they certainly paid more attention to Australian football and, and I think we'll be watching it more from, from afar in in the coming months and that's that's something that actually will really set up the, the dub as a competition obviously on the men's side as well that that has uh, uh, you know its it's benefits as well but just something that's really caught my attention over the winter and, and something that I'm, I'm glad you've sort of asked about um, because you know us doing this podcast, us talking about you know our clubs and our league, you know that there could be a, a real opportunity here for for it to really branch out and really boom to, to something special, not just for our own audiences and for our own competition, but also foreign foreign audiences as well. I mean, people obviously have been paying attention to the Women's Super League in England, um, you know, and the and the and the Women's League in the USA, but can the A League get itself? to that level as well. Uh, that would be something that would be really, really good to see is a foreign influence on the league and foreign managers coming into the league, for example. So that boom that is going to be really important going forward.
0: Hopefully some ambitious um, visa signings as well. I think 90% of the visa signings this season so far, and we're about to get into some of them now, have been um, American college graduates. I'd love to see, especially after the back of World Cup, I would have loved to have seen a uh, Marta Cox type of signing, someone that you know came to Australia, represented their country, people fell in love with and now we could have the possibility of watching the week in week out I think if Sydney FC needed a striker, obviously the two that brought in are very prove, uh, proven at an A-league level but someone like Marta Cox probably just would have added that little bit of extra excitement you know something new something that you know we'd seen in another way but now we're going to see her at our local
1: level it would have been cool but Alas, it wasn't to be. But we are just going to get on into that. that. Just, just and, on that. I mean, we we've obviously seen Serena Bolden before she became Serena Bolden, and we, we do. If we we we're not going to be touching on either Perth or Western United today, but there's a big Philippines influence there. So you know, I I understand that we're not we don't have a Marta Cox quality player, but we do have that foreign influence. It it has crept between. And yes,
0: but I mean, someone that like made their name, like mate like someone that put it this way. Someone that keep up could go, hey, this person did this really cool thing at the World Cup. Now they're gonna play in the A League, and then they could post that video ten times over before the season starts. In true keep up fashion, I say that with all love. We do love you, keep up. Please don't um get us in trouble and don't give us access to players. Anyway, we'll get into the actual news, I guess, because there's been a fair bit of transfer activity going on in the off season and most notably the players that are coming back. Now I'm gonna pose this question to you, Matt. The biggest name that's come back to the league so far. We've had Simon, Gilnick, Yallop and Williams, four Cat Matildas, three members of our World Cup squad, one that actually did take the pitch. What is the biggest name that's actually come back to the league? Cause it's hard to pick. Like I'd love to introduce this by saying this person's come back and trickle it with the other three, but I don't know who stands out the most.
1: Look, I think, I think when you look at Lydia's career, I think she, she probably wouldn't stack up as, as the biggest issue. She needed that swan song and she was always going to come home to, to a club. It just happened to be a victory. I understand Tamika Yellow played a bigger part in the World Cup, but I'm still inclined to say it's sign. Simon. Just oh, her history, back. to
0: be fair. And she probably would have played a bigger part of the World Cup if she wasn't injured.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Although there was the controversy around her selection. I still think she's she's just the biggest name of the lot. Um, a, b- a bigger story to sell with her having played for the Mariners all those years ago. Um, and you know, yeah, the fact that she's come directly from, from Tottenham as well. Um, just a really, really good all round story and one that I'm really, really excited to see play out in, um, a Mariners team that we essentially know nothing about because we've not seen them play together as a group.
0: Well, look, we'll get into the Mariners a bit later, but one thing that I did say on a podcast very recently, actually, um, Kai Simon coming back to the league has basically done the Mariners marketing department for them because you could basically put up any generic headline about a player coming home and just replace player with Simon and boom, that's a million dollar article right there. So whoever's in the marketing at Mariners, you owe Kai Simon a big thank you. And you never know, maybe you owe her a big thank you if she wins the league as well. But in my opinion, actually, the biggest signing over the over the off-season so far, probably doesn't even come from those four signing altogether. Courtney Vine coming back, well, not coming back, staying in the league, considering the interest that she'd undoubtedly have elsewhere, possibly for personal reasons, maybe not ready to leave her family behind, her partner behind. But the fact that we're able to keep her and we're able to watch one of Australia's best footballers at the minute, week in, week out, again, when we thought we've probably seen her in the league for the last time, that is massive, isn't it?
1: It is. And it's, I think it's indicative of, of the fact that there is maybe a bit of a pull here that, that didn't exist see The fact that we're able to get players both in at that sort of retirement phase to keep them interested, to keep them playing at this level, but also just to keep someone like Courtney around. And I, I don't make this comparison in a negative way, knowing that he hasn't reached those heights in his career, but there's a bit of, of correlation between Courtney Vine making it as a Matilda sticking around in the Sydney conversation. And what we saw with Ryan Grant when he was playing for the Socceroos as well, and I just find it very, very interesting that for certain players of a certain level from a certain background, there's that there's that pull there to just sort of stay in there and, and stay with who you are. Um, and it's just it's it's rarely seen in Australian football. So it's just awesome that we can we can do this for people like Kaya and for, for Courtney, and hopefully it actually really helps in, uh, improve the, the the quality of the competition as a whole. It really help younger players buy into a very healthy competition
0: i we am talking about having that international pool before. The A-League has a potential, and it was at one stage, one of the top women's leagues in the world. I think people forget we had a Ballon d'Or winner currently playing in the A-League. Um, Nadine Andre, when she won the Ballon d'Or, I think it was 2013 or 2014. I could have the year mixed up. But it was around that early 2010s period. And she won it and then came back to Australia to stand in between the six of Brisbane Raw. Like, we have that potential to be one of the top leagues in the world unfortunately, it's mainly monetary factors that hold us back from getting there, and it's the same conversation we talk about in Australian football all the time. It's just, unfortunately, we can't pay this. We can't compete with other countries in terms of wages, and now we're seeing Alitiad sign World Cup stars um, Plumpture, I believe it was, that went over there, um, going to Saudi Arabia. It's just going to create a whole new, di- or could create a whole new dynamic in women's football. I know there's different socio-cultural uh, factors that may stop a lot of players from going over there, but Alas, move on. Talk about players that have actually departed the A-League. Uh, the most notable probably being Claire Hunt. Fantastic World Cup she had and well-deserved move to PSG. Everton was a name that was um strung around a lot. I actually genuinely thought she was going to end up there. uh, Linked back up with Claire Wheeler, but ended up in France in the capital. Lovely place to live. Well-deserved after the World Cup she had, going to one of the... Top clubs in f- world football. Still probably not the best side in France, though. What do you make of this move? Do you think she probably is this the right move for her? Because obviously, aside from Paris being generally a very good side in France, there is also, um, what would you say, uh, issues in the dressing room, um, to put it lightly. <laughs> but, um, in terms of just in general, just her making that step up, was this the best place for her to go or maybe should she have pushed for a move to England?
1: that that's always gonna be a be a difficult one to say. I think when you talk about being at a club like PSG, you're gonna talk about the extras that come with it, such as Champions League football? Is that a bad thing for Claire Hunt to be a part of? Of course it's not. So, you know, there's 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 just there's gonna be a very necessary need to make it in that team. And if we draw a parallel to a lot of the players that we have in England, Cody, you know, Remy Simpson couldn't necessarily walk in and be an out and out starter at Leicester. Mary Fowler couldn't do it at Man City, there's all sorts of problems that will go on and Claire Hunt will face that battle but she'll face it in a unique way where if she's able to really be a supreme uh, level of talent in in the PSG defense you you're, you are going to be playing at the very top level that you could be playing at in your domestic competition I think with a, with a PSG early on and as I said, you're going to get the extra benefits playing continentally as well uh, and that does just as much as it does being part of a relegation fight in the in the WSL or something like that, so uh, no, I don't I Don't actually think that PSG's the wrong move. Can I look at you and tell you it's completely the right move? No, because she is still going to have a struggle. She's not going to be at a team where she's guaranteed consistent football, but it's not an inherent problem. Um, you know, I made the, com- I made the comparison relatively recently with Tony Vidmar telling me that one of the players that he really truly respects in the men's game at the moment is Ryan Teague, because Ryan only now is returning to the A-League at age 23 after grinding it out in Portugal for so many years of his life. And if that's the quality of player that we can build when they're grinding it out in Europe, pretty. that's how we built the golden generation in this country. So, like, that's a good thing. It's a good thing if you can grind.
0: Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I think my, my question probably may come from the dressing room side of things, where obviously it's probably not the greatest culture at PSG, and that's the biggest thing that concerns me. That's my concern, because if she goes there, she tries to grind and then she's also got a shit environment to work in, that's probably where the issues come about. And we're, look...
1: We're, we're, hold on, we're talking about one individual here. Let's yeah? let's lay it out on an individual basis. It's about the individual and what, what's solely involved for her as a footballer. The overall picture, I understand your concerns. Of course, I understand your concerns. But but in terms of the, the sole career move for you to make as an individual, Claire Hunt has made the right one.
0: Yeah, no, look, fair enough. And look, she's a quality player and she seems like Someone that wouldn't get involved in a lot of bullshit as well. So you never know. Maybe oh, she just escapes. About,
1: just about to say that as well. She's not the, the type of person that would be a hothead or cross someone the wrong way.
0: No, that's what I mean. And look, she's probably not someone's going to get involved in those um Nike things that go on in the PSG dressing room sometimes. But look, she can go there. She can stick it out and she can be a key player for PSG. It's not even about where does she go next. She could take PSG to new heights in the women's game. And that would be, what a story that would be for an Australian to go over to France and have an impact at one of the world's biggest clubs. I can't preface that enough. She like PSG is a massive club. It was home to the greatest footballer of all time up until very recently. So, you know, it's not necessarily a bad place to make a name for yourself. Some of the other players that have moved on are a lot of young Matildas. And I think this is probably the biggest thing for me that we're seeing. We're seeing players that haven't even made their debut for the Matildas yet now earn those moves straight to the biggest clubs in the world where... You know, some you know look at like a Kara Kuni cross Courtney Nevin. They had to go to Damalsvenska in Sweden to make an name for themselves before making that move across to a bigger league. Whereas now we've got Charlie Rule, Mackenzie Hawksby heading straight over to the WSL with Brighton, Sarah Hunter going to Paris FC, the other side of Paris. And in terms of women's football, one of the biggest clubs in France over there. Our youth development at the moment is probably up there with the best it's ever been, and it's crazy to think that. These players, they're possibly going to go and make their name, make a name for themselves in some very big teams, very big leagues. But there's still better players ahead of them in terms of trying to break into the Matilda side. And I say better very loosely because players like Mackenzie Hawksby and Sarah Hunter could very well be in the next couple of Matilda squads. They're probably, they're that,
1: they're good enough. But in terms of our talent pool right now, it's massive. I've spoken on your show about Sarah Hunter many, many, many times. <laughs> um and she's one that i think you know she could have if she could have that grind because paris fc i'm just i'm just being being honest here it's not the most luxurious football club in the world and it is somewhere where you're gonna have to really rely on your own skills and your own ability as an individual to go and really go out there and and make a name for yourself um and that and that grind is exactly what i was talking about that's Sarah Hunter needs to go and do that for herself because that, that's that's how we build resilience as, as Australian footballers. That's how we progress as a, as, a, as a football country.
0: And you look at Charlie Rule, Mackenzie Hawksby, they're going straight to England. You know, we talk about uh, the WSO being the creme de la creme of women's football, even though maybe in terms of UFO rankings it technically isn't. But for Australia, for Australians, that's the uh, one league in Europe or well, the one major league in Europe where you can go, you speak the language, there's other Aussies nearby, a lot of Aussies nearby. It's Probably the most ideal environment for us to go in, and but it's usually a treacherous journey to get there. Now we're seeing two of the A-League's best young players make that move alongside Madison Haley, who had a fantastic season last year with Sydney FC. How much does that say about how you know talk about how English media is viewing the um viewing Australian football now? Clearly, English clubs have viewed um the league in the same ilk because they're willing to look here directly to sign players and bring them straight over.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's just a real, real asset to our competition. And the fact that the, uh, the dub can be in a very unique position where if 2023, 2024 goes right with those growth metrics, it won't just be Australia that's paying attention. That's, it's a massive asset.
0: So won't just growth. be Australia that's paying attention. Sorry. What do you mean? Won't it be just Australia
1: that's paying attention? It'll be it'll be it'll be foreign television rights. It'll be foreign, ah yes yes things, yes things yes. like that where where the the eyeballs and the the uh, the investment and and things like this it, it could come from a non-Australian source.
0: So. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And look, the women's game is growing exponentially right in front of us, probably in ways that some people probably view as unprecedented. And in reality, the A-League Women's is probably one of the leagues that a lot of people overseas genuinely have an interest in and want to watch. I'm, there'd be a massive market for it in America. There'd be a growing market for it in England. I'd argue even some areas in Scandinavia would be very curious to tune in. There's an, op- there's an opportunity there to really build on the hype and possibly get some dollars in for the league, which, you know, not to sound harsh or anything, we kind of need. So how this league grows over the next few years, it's fantastic. And it starts with seeing those players make those big moves because that just legitimizes the talent, talent in the competition. Uh, Before we get into our season previews of the top six clubs in the league, looking alphabetically, a hot take for you. We've seen Sarah Hunter, Charlie Rule, Mackenzie Hawksby make those moves in this off-season. When we're talking in September 2024, who's just made a move over to Europe to a big league? (laughs) That was quick.
1: (laughs) She is someone... No, so I've, I've just sort of gone through a lot of these squads um, you know that a lot of that under 20s generation from the Costa Rica World Cup stick out to me. It's why I've built the affinity that I have for Sarah. Hannah Lowry is obviously, you know, just, just one of the great players of West Australian football that I've always had a massive fascination with her ability and her growth in, in her career. Briley Henry is a name that stuck out from the, le- the leadership group of that team. And I think Briley's someone where if she gets the football time, uh, with City, yeah, she's, she got a big, big move in her and it might come during the season as well. Hannah. Look out for Hannah. Her ability to, to really string a team together and her, her, um, like her stature for someone that's her age and her ability with her pace and stuff like that. There's a lot that, that you, uh, that she can bring to the table. So I'd definitely be picking, ironically enough, the next Sarah Hunter to be from that mold of player as well. So, so look out for it.
0: I think if there's someone, I'm going to go in with the hot take here because it's probably someone that flies a little bit under the radar too. Alana Cern from Western United. I reckon she could be, she was fantastic last season for him. Considering it was her first season in the league, if she's able to build on that this season and possibly keep West United in and around the top of the table again, there's no telling where she could go as well. I actually think she could be maybe it'd be interesting to see if she goes straight to a top league or goes to maybe, um, not necessarily sideways move, but to your Scandinavian region, somewhere like that, possibly. But I think she's probably one of the next ones to kind of make that trek over to Europe, but let's get into our season previews because we've got so much to talk about. There's. A fair bit of activity going off season. Some teams have completely rejuvenated, really reshaped their side. Some definitely looking for consistency, which is a valuable asset to be able to do in Australia. Obviously, with the salary cap league, there is a lot of turnover in terms of players. But we'll start with Adelaide United, whose squad, and I don't know if this is a case of they just haven't announced everyone yet or they've just genuinely kept their squad small, but it is looking very thin. Notable signings at least for me, Elani Ansevsky and Hannah Blake. But considering how they went last season, and I'm not going to discredit their transfer activity because they have brought in quality players, but it just doesn't look like that there's enough there to really spur on and kind of put last season behind them.
1: Yeah, I, t- I tend to agree. Um, you know, I'm still looking at, at obviously, yeah, like you say, uh, Justin and, and Hannah Blake coming in from, from Perth. Sasaki, the, uh, the Japanese international, Dylan Holmes. There's quality there, but there's just not enough of it and when you're a team that's sort of spent a lot of last season promising something and then just not delivering on it i don't un- I don't understand what this approach is it doesn't actually make a lot of sense Cody um but uh, what what you can say is that if if those players stay fit if if they're a team that, that wants to go out and perform on their day, they can, they can do so uh, and and the thing thing is with the expanded finals format you're always going to be in the hunt now i I don't necessarily think um that we need to dwell on on a team like this with the lack of recruitment and go well it's really bad i just think that they're obviously going to have to string the consistency you know hopefully no suspensions and injuries getting in the way and they're a team that can perform on their day but it will have to be a very specific and and you know you're thinking sort of counter counter a more counter-attacking style as well when you're playing your victories in your cities and your sydneys so yeah the, the overall the overall pitch is maybe a bit bleak we're maybe giving it like a we're not going to do a rating system, but I just thought I'd, I'd for the for the sake of the conversation say it's about a five or a six out of ten. And and that's um yeah, in impressive what a what a grim start.
0: <laughs> Look, I've gone alphabetically if I if I started with a team that looked the best, we're talking probably talking about Sydney FC right now, even with their turnover. But that's a story for another episode. Um just looking purely at Adelaide. Obviously losing Fiona Watts as well, that's gonna be a massive thing and we had this conversation at length on one of our episodes last season. There was there was a period where they genuinely looked good, and it was almost luck that was stopping them from winning games. They set up very well defensively. They were creating a lot of chances, but it just wasn't going in, and then they'd concede one or two goals sporadically in a match, sometimes even against a run of play, and that's what we're doing for them. There's probably a lot of games that they'd look back and rue on, thinking, yeah, look, we probably should have got a result there. You pick up five or 10 more points. Suddenly you're almost in the hunt for finals. That's, that's how close it was for Adelaide, even though this, the table probably suggests otherwise, but you lose your main striker, even if she did pro- arguably underperform or not arguably underperform. She did underperform last season, but you never know. That could turn around this year. Sydney FC clearly think still value her highly if they're going to bring her in to replace Madison Haley. Maybe the lure of Sydney FC was a bit too much to turn down for her. That does happen with a lot of players in the early women's. But how much of a loss is that going to be for them this year, considering they were probably just a few luckier moments away from actually being a very decent side last year?
1: Yeah, look, it, it, well, it's the whole reason why I've sort of said that on their day they can still be a force, because I think they still have that inherent DNA in them for a start. But when it comes to Fiona Watts, so we're talking about a player that you just sort of expected to, to see her name associated with Adelaide for a, a really long time. I don't know if if it's the lure of Sydney uh, as much. I mean, maybe, yeah, despite the fact that that maybe, you know, at at, at this sort of level in the female game, we're not as pushed for the materialistic side of it, if you sort of get what I mean. But there is still the lure of you're going to be playing champions, uh, you know, you're going to be playing in a championship side. And actually, just while while we're there, they will, in fact, be playing in the inaugural AFC Champions League as well. So maybe something like that appeals to Fiona. We don't know but i can I can still see you know Adelaide, despite the fact that they've got that that big big loss in the way, they're still going to play like the side that can play well on their day and i I know that whatever they have planned and and they could you know we've seen it with the men's team over years over the years they like they could pull out a bit of a gem from the academy we we don't we don't really know um and it definitely leaves a lot to be desired but i, I just yeah it sort of goes without saying the loss of, of a few awards to that team.
0: Talk about uh, the young players coming through as well. They have really taken that approach that we've seen so femininely with the men's where you do have these young players coming in. There's a fair few players listed there on scholarship signings, which you never know one, if one or two of them turn out to be a gem. It reshapes how we look at the whole side. Suddenly there they actually really are pushing for finals. It really just depends on how that all goes. I'm going to pose you a question. I actually didn't put this in the agenda for you. I thought I'd take you by surprise a little bit, but um. We're not going to do ladder predictions or anything just yet. That's a thing for the next episode, a little bit closer to the season, just in case some of these teams do end up signing one or two more players that, you know, suddenly reshape how we see them. But best case scenario and worst case scenario for Adelaide?
1: The best case scenario is you're probably looking at fourth, fifth, sixth on the edge of an elimination final, making that elimination final and subsequently winning that elimination final. Worst case scenario is the few good players that are sprinkled in there get injured or suspended, and we see a side that has a bit of a Western Sydney Wanderer syndrome about them, where they all they all have that heart and that and that fight in them, but they just won't be able to get anything out of a game, uh, and and that's pretty frightening to think about um, for for a club that is uh, as well respected as Adelaide. Are.
0: Would you say them if things go really by the wayside? Is there any opportunity? that, or not opportunity? Is there any chance that they end up in the wooden spoon?
1: Yeah, that's that's sort of what I'm alluding to. I'm 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 trying to be nice about it, and just you say it, man. I'm going to be nice. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, Wanderers fans will will even sort of admit that 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 when I say Wanderers in uh, in <laughs> in W circles, I think we know what we mean. I think we know that the club that went what fifteen, sixteen games without winning,
0: we went twelve months basically. It was like three hundred and sixty four days or something.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, it's... Cody, we've we've got many letters in the alphabet to go. Through. <laughs>
0: Look, I'm probably with you as well. They're probably, best case scenario, they'd kind of peter on that elimination final. Probably no higher than fifth for me. Worst case scenario, things go by the wayside. They end up bottom of the ladder. I That would be very disappointing if they do, unfortunately. But like, look, it's a possibility. But yeah, look, we do have an um, alphabet to get through. We're going to move on to B. That's how far down we are. <laughs> um Brisbane Roar. Shea Connors, obviously the most notable loss so far. Couple visa signings that are coming in. Uh, Mia Corbin from America signing from Parma, which I actually thought was really interesting. And Holgersen as well, Danish forward. So, um, one club really looking at variance in terms of where they get their visa signings from. Um, you're also talking about a bit of a reshuffle at the back. Chelsea Blissett, Jenna McCormick, Scarpelli. I think it's Leah Scarpelli. I do apologize. I've got to write her first name down. Um, that's an American defender there coming in. So, few areas reshaped for Brisbane Raw. Obviously, Katrina Gorry, um doesn't look like she's coming back, but Tamiki Allop's there in her place. Still a very solid side on paper. A very good core contingent of young players as well. We've got McQueen, Palmer, uh, Ruby Cuthbert, someone as well that's just come into the side. A lot of talent there. What do you make of
1: them? I don't know. Um, We know that the word for Brisbane in women's circles is very much just a there team they can be they can be okay uh they're not going to be terrible but they're just going to be very sort of mid-tier in that table and and in your expectations of them and when i when you when you look at any team like this you really want to look at who the leaders are and you start with them and you sort of work your way down jenna mccormick freaking awesome player Tamika make absolute queen cody where is the rest of that team man like they've got leadership and, and what else after that There's, they're, they're just very mid-tier. I I actually
0: Mm kind of like this team, in all honesty.
1: Okay. You talk about leadership.
0: You've got Nori there as well. She's the club captain, of course. There's, I I think that, well, I guess saying they're missing, I think they have. You've got Jenna McCormick at the back as well, who, you know, maybe isn't at the same age as some of the others you mentioned, but still comes with a fair bit of experience. There's proven A-League quality there as well. I, I think there's, there, the, that's the makings of a good side. The, the only thing with them is how you they. Sh-
1: you didn't explicitly say there's a good side there. I did. <laughs> you said there's the makings of one, so you're. There's you're the makings of one. there. You're getting there, and and I think yes, they they could have it in them, but you can't look at this squad and sit here and tell me you're beaming with excitement. I just I. Don't what like I
0: will say squad. is I don't look at this side and think that they're going to challenge for the title. That's uh, I think that's far fetched. But you're talking about a side that realistically should be at that finals level, especially with the top six this season. I don't think they're a side that's gonna be I think they'll be a little bit exciting to watch. I think last season, once Gory left, things kinda of fell I know I've said this a few times on the podcast, but they've they fell by the wayside a little bit. But that's what happens when you lose your spark and that's what happens when you fall in love with lone players. That's uh age old adage, don't fall in love with lone players. i perfect example of it there. But you know, they've recruited well. They've, even losing Connors and Crummer, it doesn't feel like there's major holes left in the side. They've recruited very well to replace them. Yeah, okay. Even if they have had to kind of dip into the international market to do so. Connors obviously being a visa signing herself. Sorry about that. But
1: there, I think there's, I know I said this before. I'm going to say it again. There's the makings of a good side. Yeah, that I don't think you understand that that. Still doesn't mean that there is explicitly a good side there that you're really excited in. That's all this comes down to. I'm not, not going to sit here and say that Brisbane are awful and that you shouldn't watch them. Far from it, actually. Far, far from it. Because be intrigued about who the players are that aren't stepping up, that aren't as familiar, even with people like us who intimately watch the dub. But I'm just, I'm just saying that for me, you can still sort of look at it and be like, yeah, I can, I can, you know, hold off on the excitement. Uh, and and give this team a, a bit of a pass. It's it's not so much that you're overlooking them. Well, okay, maybe I literally am am overlooking them. But I think it's I think it's just that you have to acknowledge that they're not they're not someone that you can sit there sit here and rave about. That's that's all that's all I'm saying. I just think that Brisbane Brisbane's women's program have been very just sort of mid tier for for a long time. It's nothing against them. It's just that's your legacy and you're struggling to build on from that legacy. It it, it happens in sport.
0: It's interesting because. A lot of the Matildas that we just saw at the World Cup are actually Queensland-raised. So, like, a lot lot of them got their their junior clubs are all listed as Queensland. Queensland. So, it's it's clearly a hotbed for female football talent. How they harness it, I think, is probably going to be the biggest question. One of the biggest um, talents in that state at the moment would be Ella Grady, who's been playing with the Under-17s, and she's just signed for Melbourne Victory. So, maybe you can question why Brisbane wasn't able to lure her in why she decided to go halfway across the country. So yeah, look, there's always going to be questions you can ask about the club, but, and I'm going to put it to the question of best case, worst case scenario. I actually think their best case scenario could even be pushing for fourth place. If things click and they're probably going to need a little bit of luck, they're going to need some sides that maybe shape up better than them to underperform in a way. But if things go right for them, I can actually see them pushing for top four.
1: Yeah, look, I, I, I can, I can see what you mean though, uh, especially if things go wrong for the teams in and around that pack. It definitely is a home final in this team. There, there is. There is. I won't, I won't be too savage on them, um, but just acknowledge that, that the ceiling is probably a far lower ceiling than it can be for for other teams, which, again, again I think Maybe, also yeah. Tough.
0: I guess. Um, and look, I'm probably going to agree with you here a little bit. Worst case scenario, I don't see them being wooden spooners, but yeah, look, if things don't click, suddenly, yeah, you're looking at that kind of ninth, tenth, and really having that. Or season that you don't you, you don't
1: yeah, want to be the team that's stuck in eighth or ninth. You want to be the team that's sitting sort of seventh, eighth, ninth, knowing that things just haven't clicked for you week in week out. And I I think ultimately that's where Brisbane still maybe probably sit for me. But maybe I'm being a bit stubborn in that. And like we say, maybe they can push for for a home final as well. They they have it in them, as as many of these teams sort of do. I think. Where we're going to find ourselves making the same commentary here in saying that, yeah, these teams can be sort of fourth, fifth, but they can also be as low as sort of eighth, ninth, 10th. And, and I think you'll find that that when it comes to mid table teams will be quite consistent, in our in our competition. I think that
0: just, that just comes from the fact that a lot of these sides really shape up as well as each other. I don't think there's many teams, you know, especially if you look at that kind of mid table area, there's no one that really stands out more than the others. I think there's probably eight or nine teams in this competition that, almost stack up, which is as well as each other. And it's exciting. You want to see an even competition. You want to see an open competition. I don't think there's going to be a massive gap between first and last this season. Even some of those sides that really struggled last season, I think, have improved a lot. So there's a chance there for a really open competition. Uh We will move on. Uh Another team that's probably in and around that mid-table area, Cambridge United. Now, their off-season's been, in a way, I guess you can call it, fantastic. You bring in someone like Rojas, that automatically puts you in that upper echelon of teams. She's a fantastic baller, and now you're okay. going to have her playing against, not against, next to Michelle Heyman and Vesna Milovojevic, who were two of my favourite players to watch last season, especially together. You're adding one of the most dynamic footballers in the league to that, and it, it's a recipe for being one of the most entertaining teams in the competition. I really want to see this side do well. Uh Grace Meyer leaving, that's probably my biggest qualm with their off-season. Laura Hughes as well. Probably not in the same ilk as Ma, but another, um, loss there too. But, um, dipping into the NPL New South Wales market as well, Tegan Bertalicio, one of the top defenders in the NPL New South Wales this season, has also joined the side. Only 17 years old, she's got big boots to fill with, um, Ellie Brush leaving the team. And if you're looking at how their defense, um, shapes up, obviously Grace Ma was stepping in there a fair bit. She's gone, Ellie Brush is retired, Falken has left. Suddenly, Tegan Bertalicio looks like she could be one of the starting centre backs. It's a risk. But if it comes off, you've unearthed a massive talent in Australian football. So good on them for giving it a go. They could almost, even if that doesn't work out, there could be a team where they go each week. Oh, you'll score three goals. We'll score four.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. I, uh, I guess, you know, so, um, just on the absences there, Grace Jarley is obviously also. Yes. Yeah, so um, that one I was meant to mention as well. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's <laughs> headed to Perth, um, which will really bolster up a lot of that team and the culture that they're building, but. The thing with Canberra is, it's very clear where the leadership is. You mentioned Rojas, Heyman, Milivojevic. Cody, what, what's the consistency with all three of those players, though, in, in the terms that they are clear leaders, they're great individuals, they're going to build an awesome team, but what's the problem? What is the what is problem? problem? They're all attacking players. So so there needs to be... You need to bridge the gap. You can't You can't have... A strong emphasis where, okay, you score three, we score four. I just get the feeling if you, if, you, if you can't, if you can't focus on all areas of the pitch, you just won't be able to just do that click of the finger. To point. be
0: fair, I say like, you, I s- you score three, we score four in the sense of if it doesn't work out at the back. If Tegan Bertilisio comes in and she's one of the top defenders in the competition, suddenly that's not an issue.
1: We and know then- that the ceiling is higher for a team like Canberra than it is for Adelaide or Brisbane for the very fact that they're able to, they're probably able to breed young talent. They have the pedigree and history more than Adelaide and Brisbane do, which I think is a very fair thing to say for both, you know, women's football in New South Wales and in the ACT. And the fact that if you're naturally from Canberra, you can entice players down from New South Wales much easier than a team in Queensland or South Australia could, right? So, you know, they're, they're going to have the ability to really click things into gear to get a lot of unknown names at a far better level than the other two clubs we've spoken about. And that's ultimately where the leadership of your Roadhouses, your Haymans, your Millivore, is, you know, if they're able to actually bridge that gap and, and be the spark for the rest of the team to, go, to come together, and for the absence of a Grace Mar for example, to not be as impactful as it currently looks right now, then yes, they can actually get sparked spark together and be, be a good team. But right now I'm just thinking they're, they're stacked in one area and there's very little happening behind them. I don't know. Maybe not.
0: Sorry about the back line as well. I think one thing we've really got to pay attention to, they've also got arguably the best young keeper in the country in Clover Lincoln between the sticks. That's no, that's no small feat there.
1: Yeah. There's, there's, there's actually this one keeper for another club that I really am sort of dying to talk about for the impact that she'll have, but you're not wrong. Who's the keeper? It's the next club we're about to talk about. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know yeah. what? We'll, we'll, we'll get there then. Okay. We'll talk about
0: Canberra ceiling.
1: Okay. Okay, I, I still think it's fair to say that, that home finals is a very realistic expectation for Canberra, but they have to be wary of the fact that they all need a lot of consistency. They all need a standard of football that maybe some of the names in that team aren't used to performing at yet, but they'll also have the added experience of uh, of the women we spoke about earlier. So as far as Canberra are concerned, look, I can still see see a very big upside there. Uh, their downside, where their season could go wrong, maybe still only looking at sort of 7th, 8th, ninth as well. So they fit into that that mid-tier sort of mould, the, the mid-table club we're talking about, I think.
0: Look, I really like this team. Worst-case scenario for me is probably still pushing for finals, maybe that 7th, 8th. I'd be very, very shocked if they're as low as even ninth. If you're talking about their ceiling, but home final, you're almost looking at a home final, at least in... The, uh, preliminary final stage, the elimination final stage as an expectation for them. If they can reach that third, fourth, if things are really quick for them, and look, you might look at me like I'm crazy when I say this. Best case scenario for me, for them would actually be second. I don't know if they're a side ready to win the premiership. Yeah. But I, I think they could realistically push for that
1: top two. They have always had it in their DNA. You, you get the archives out. You go back to 2008. Canberra United can always bring something on their day. Oh, of course. Had it in them. And some of those unknown quantities pushing their weight up, matching it with the Haymans and the Rowhouses of the world, we are talking about a club that can reach that level. So, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, but I'm just thinking about who else is sort of up there at that level. And I, I don't know that they can make it that high, but they have it in them to just bring a surprise. in us. We know that.
0: Look, when you've got clubs in the league that have the resources, the Sydney FCs and all three Melbourne sides, basically, you're, you're going to need a little bit of luck if you are going to get into those areas. But I think Canberra, They they've got the makings of a good squad. I don't think they look out of place in that top four. So hey, you never know, really. But um, look, we'll move on. Central Coast, you've got someone that you want to talk about here, of course. But just quick rundown of them. Obviously the new um new girls on the block. Kai Simon, the big name that's come in. We've already spoken a little bit about her and her arrival. Some pretty good visa signings as well in there. A well-rounded squad. You've got you've got experience there. You've also got a healthy group of young players. Um two players that stand out for me would be um Peter Trumas and Maya Lobo, both um, NPL New South Wales graduates now, Uh the former at MacArthur Bulls who were kind of waiting to join the Ailey Women's, I guess. And Maya Lobo, another member of that MacArthur Rams side that won the NPL New South Wales Grand Final. So proven quality there. Uh Peter Trumas, I know was in the team of the season for the NPL New South Wales Women's. I can't remember if Maya Lobo was, I do apologise off the top of my head, but, well rounded squad. My question would be how quick quickly they can gel together. They obviously had the friendly win over Newcastle in Tamworth, so good signs there already. You've got uh Rollo Butler as well. So you got pre- you've got proven quality there. Oh no, Emily Husband, she's kind of looking for those untapped NPL
1: talent and she's sticking to it. I'm intrigued to see how it goes, but how well do they gel together straight off the bat? Man, these, these expansion sides can be such a fascinating dynamic, and I just love it. I'm all for it. I'm all for seeing this team and their narrative unfold, because when I looked at the team on paper, my head went into a thousand different places. My instinctive response, what I wrote down on, the, on my notes, something that literally just came out of your mouth. How well can they gel together? How well can they stick it together to be a team that can be a winning package? And something something that I've just not stopped thinking about with this team is I've picked three players all in different positions and they all have such a fascinatingly different story to tell about why they've come to Gosford and why they're there to play their football. And it's these three narratives playing out that will really determine how far this team goes as a club, ultimately for the goal of how well they gel together. So I've picked out three players. The first one is very obvious. It's Kai Simon. If Kai simon Swanson goes the way that you want it to and she and she is that leader for the team, Mariners are, a bit, are looking a bit Gucci gang. Right? They're looking like a finals forty team. The second player I've picked out is um, a, a, a Kiwi prospect. In uh, at least I, I think she's Kiwi. If she's not Kiwi, I apologise for that. Obviously, off, off a, from a, a inaugural Wellington Phoenix mould is uh, Isabel Gomez, someone that she's Australian. I think she is Australian, which is exactly why I said that. But um, (laughs) anyway, it it, just—I obviously—I associate with her as being part of the the inaugural Phoenix side. But her whole thing at the Phoenix was there was there was a burst of talent there, but she couldn't put the full package together. If she's able to mold into a Mariners team where she actually can get that consistency, where she can look at the leaders in the team and say, "Yeah, you know what? I actually can step up to that next level." You know, the team is going in the right direction because someone like Izzy Gomez is going in the right direction with them. You you, you, know, you know what I'm getting at, right? Yeah. Uh, the third player I picked out is someone that I had the privilege of seeing in person multiple times for Perth last season. The goal, the goalkeeper Sarah Langman. Now Sarah stepped up at a time where Perth were uh, their goalkeeper their goalkeeping stocks really took a bit of a bit of a hit and they really needed someone to step up at the right time. Morgan Aquino was starting games here and there, but it was Sarah Langman, her consistency, her experience her her knowledge in that team from her background, having played many years with Adelaide, where she just stood up and she was never never necessarily going to be someone who carried a lot of pride in the shirt. We knew the reason why she was playing, why she had signed. Um, you know, some of the injury problems that she'd been through in her career. The games that she did play, though, Cody can't trust enough. The games that she did play, she really stepped up and she really stepped up in a big way. So it's it's as much about her being a quality leader as much as it is her just being there to make that crucial save to really buy into the project buy into the players around her if Gomez can get up on her feet if Simon can be that leader in bad goals and if Langman can be the the, the keeper to step up and make crucial saves at a crucial time if all three of them have their narratives unfolding correctly that's a sign of you know what this Mariners team isn't just here to make up the numbers they're here to be a real finals contender they're here to just like western united come into the competition and make a bang and that's ultimately what will decide the legacy for the mariners in 23-24
0: see when i when you said that you had a keeper you wanted to talk about i was obviously talking about chloe lincoln i was talking in ilk of having a really solid young goalkeeper i thought that's the um, path you were going down as well obviously sarah langman's not a young goalkeeper anymore (laughs) but yeah look it's she I remember her being really, really good when she was at the Wanderers. I don't know if we saw the best of her while she was at Perth. In my oh, that's my opinion at least.
1: I think it I think it just it, it came and went in waves, but when she stood up, she stood up in a really big impactful way.
0: Look, there's there's uh how do you say it? there's natural talent there. She's clearly a fantastic goalkeeper. How well she gets on this Mariners side and, and like I said, it comes down to how well they gel with each other. Because if she's got a disjointed defense in front of her, she's gonna be under a lot of pressure and there's every chance she could crack in it. But if she is in a side that's well oiled and she's in a position where she can play with a lot of confidence, she'll be fantastic. At the Wanderers, she was nuts. There were games that they probably should have lost five, six, seven nil. And she was single handedly keeping them in a position where they could possibly go on and win it. That is no small feat. So definitely someone that's going to be crucial for them. You've you've picked out someone really good there. The ceiling. Do you think they're ready? No, not ready. Do you think they have a chance of actually getting to? A home elimination final, though.
1: Yes, yeah, of course they do. Yeah, of course they do. I think there's enough competitiveness in the team. There's there's enough of a belief there. There's enough of a vision. Gosford is a football place. Um, look look at the men's look at the men's team. Look at what they just built. Um, they can build that culture there. They can install that. They've had all this influence come in from um from England as well. You know, there's a, there's a vibe there. There's a there's a winning team there. So I don't, I don't um, see their ceiling being super, super high, but I certainly being, see it being good enough. Yeah, home final, you can, you can book in as, as something that they can, um, a goal that they can, not an expectation, but a goal they can set for themselves. Yeah.
0: See, I'd probably argue they're probably their ceiling may be closer to that, just making the six. I think maybe that fifth-six area. I'd be very surprised if they do get in the top four. I, I say that with as much sincerity as I can. I do still like this team. I think they're very good. They'll be fun to watch. I don't know if they'll push for that home final, though. I think that's probably just a little bit ahead of them. But I don't think that's what this season's going to be about for them. They're not the Western United who's been playing together for three years and is primed to take on the A-League at the pace that they were able to, but they're not this Wellington Phoenix who had just about every possible possible negative storyline thrown at them when they were trying to enter the league, having to do it in three months in another country with arguably the smallest budget, when they when their ultimate goal was to develop New Zealand talent, then I don't think they're going to be in that Duke where they just kind of throw a side together and it's like, yeah, we're just trying to make sure we get off the ground. I think there's a side there primed to make a name for themselves. I don't know if they're going to make a name for themselves in terms of being champions, but worst case scenario, if things don't gel, if things don't go well, there's players there that could severely underperform too, though. What do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah. Again, uh if you look at all three of the players that I mentioned, you know, Langman could have clangers. Gomez cannot get on her feet. Kaya can just have uh, a mare of a time. Like it's possible, Cody. But do I see this side being spooners? though? No? No, I think there's enough quality there to avoid. I wouldn't
0: go that. I wouldn't go that far. I wouldn't say there's yeah. their spoon potential. Yeah, but you never know. Maybe tenth, eleventh. I don't. I'd be surprised they come last, yeah, and be, they'll look well, at they, themselves. They could.
1: They could have some low lows, but I don't necessarily think they're spooners.
0: One of the heavy hitters in the competition I mentioned, kind of those clubs with the big budgets before, Melbourne City. Another one, a little bit like Adelaide. A bit of a thin squad, but you look at the quality, and the quality is astounding. So much young talent, so much A League talent. Uh new Canadian goalkeeper as well, whose name escapes me, unfortunately. I will double check that. But, you know, you um someone that you mentioned before, Briley Henry, someone who could be set for a big season, um, other young players like Caitlin Carriage, uh, Darcy Malone. Very big names there. And then obviously the duo of Rihanna Policena, Holly McNamara. You've got, um, Hannah Wilkinson up top as well. There's still so much to like about this side. So as much as it may look thin on paper, it's a very, very stacked thin.
1: Yeah. I, you've missed, you've missed one of the hottest sort of younger talents that I'd love to talk about. Someone that's been involved at national team setups. Someone that's really been a big story in the game in WA. Uh, Tajan McKenna. Yes, the McKenna—they well, twins or sisters? <laughs> I should know the answer <laughs> to that question, and I don't. But Tijan is someone that um, you can expect a lot of quality from, but you you don't see a lot of quality in. Right, that's a fascinating narrative for, especially on the topic of uh, Melbourne City's lack of depth. Um, that's a very very important one going forward. That I'd I'd like to see her be one of the breakout stars for the season. Um, and if we're being honest, uh, if if Someone like Briley's my my tip to make it big in Europe. I guess Dejan McKenna would would be my tip to also make it as a breakout star. So that lack like of depth, I understand where you're coming from because it's not a very big squad. But I don't know that I agree. I think we're we're talking about and to be honest, the fact that you just made a comparison with the admin of Adelaide to the admin of Melbourne City for goodness sakes. I think uh, Adelaide would be quite. I happy.
0: just mean it. I just mean in the sense that they're both thin squads. Yeah, Obviously, yeah, Melbourne City is a lot more stacked, and you know they could have 18 players but it's 18 good players. There's still that depth there. The only thing that would ruin it would be if, you know, they get a couple injuries, suddenly they're in that position where it's like, okay, yeah, we've got to find a way to scrape a side together week in, week out. Adelaide, it, they've got that issue, but they've also got the issue of they don't have the same depth that Melbourne City do. They don't have the same quality in an 18-person squad that Melbourne City can produce. There's there's contrasting differences there. Uh Really, I think that's how it's pronounced. I'll be honest, I don't know how to pronounce the X on the... End of a French style name. Um, forgive me, I'm not a master's in linguistics, but look, there's a. It's still the makings of a great side. You'd have to say this is still a top fourteen. Maybe worse.
1: You don't think so? No, no, no. Of course, I think so. Man, I'm shaking your head, man. I was like, truly, top four to to borderline. Just call them top four is maybe still being harsh. To be, to be really? brutally honest with you, look, I, I don't know if it's a side. And look, best case scenario for them
0: is obviously winning the league. When you've got Wilkinson, Polasino, McNamara in your side, you're you're up there with a the championship team. You you're you're in that conversation. When you've got the budget that Melbourne City does, you're in that conversation. One thing I want to talk about before we actually get into a little mini prediction forum, Emma Checker, how much of a loss is that?
1: I'm honestly fine to say it's not that big of a deal. As with Maria really? Has, yeah? really? Yeah? Really? Oh look, Mario has his cover there. Can I can I tell you but, why that? Because we're talking about Melbourne City. We're talking about a squad where, <laughs> like, no matter who's on the pitch, they're going to be straight fire, man. Like, it's the Melbourne City women's program. They just, they don't have any low lights. It's like, it's not in their DNA. It's not possible. This is, this is the world of Australian football we live in. Melbourne City and the, and the ability to just be bad. It doesn't exist anymore, bro. <laughs> like, just, just, just cut with the facts. Like, the younger talent in that team, they're, they're going to be balls, And I'm not saying that because I intricately know a lot about the NPL Victoria and where these players are coming from. I'm saying that because they've been signed by Melbourne City. They must be ballers.
0: Well, look, um, it leaves the centre-back jaw of Kali Rosbach and, and Naomi Chinema. Naomi Chinema, who we always refer back to that under-20s World Cup side, she was mm-hmm. great at that tournament. Kali Rosbach and the Matilda as well. It's it's On paper, it still should be a good side. And Chinema, I think this is going to be a good chance for her to really make a name for herself as well to be able to fill the boots of emma checker so yeah look a, maybe they, i know look checker i still thinks a massive loss one of the top defenders in the league but you know one door closes another one opens chinema could be naked making a name for herself this season so
1: and and, and to be to be alongside an experienced matilda like carly rose back in i just just give them the bloody plate already <laughs>
0: Oh, that's that might be a bit of a stretch. Best case scenario, yeah, yes, give, give, give him, best case scenario, give him the plate. But you've still got victory, Western United, and Sydney FC to contend with, and you never know, maybe even Canberra. But yeah, look, I, I wouldn't count them out. I even said it earlier in the podcast. You can't count out a side like Melbourne City.
1: Uh I. Yeah. No. Can we just just leave it at that? Let's talk about the. (laughs) No.
0: Well, first of all, worst case scenario for them because if you know maybe things don't go well. There were times last season where they did struggle a little bit. Do they? Is there a? Is there a? Is there a scenario this season that Um, they don't make the six?
1: Why are you sitting the bar so low? Or they're they're just a top.
0: I'm asking the question. I'm just asking the question.
1: That's (laughs) That's what I'm here for. I just look. It's 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 interesting, I guess, in that them choking in a semi-final is something we've seen them do before. Is it still the lowest of the lows? Because it'd be a pretty high low to set as a low low. So let's say for the point of, in the interest of there being more of a dynamic here, let's just put it at an elimination final. Whether they sort of win oh, it, or they lose it, whether it goes the distance, if you're still only being able to, to, to play sort of 4v5, 3v6, uh, you know, and, and with it being the lottery of a final, um, Melbourne City have higher expectations. They have a better squad. So that's all I can realistically say.
0: No, I agree. I only asked the question just in case there was that conversation to be had. Didn't think that was going <laughs> to. I'm not trying to disrespect them in any way. I Like, I do believe they should be making the six. If they're outside the six, that's a disastrous failure, but even coming fifth or six is a even, failure it's in itself. it's not
1: even in the conversation. It's like, it, it's not. Fair enough. I'm going far as but, hey, say That's what I'm going to say. I'm asking the question. It's not in the conversation. We move on. That's what we <laughs> need to do. Oh, no. Oh, we're doing <laughs> this again.
0: Oh, man. You know you love it. You know you love it. Look, the last slide we're going to get into today, and we do have one more pre-season episode, so if we haven't talked about your favourite club, it is coming soon. Don't worry. But for now, Melbourne victory, and I want to run through a possible defensive contingent that they could line up with this season. And I just want you to tell me how good this is. Lydia Williams in goals, a centre back pairing of Taylor Morrison, one of the top defenders in the league for the last few years, and Emma Checker, one of the top Australian defenders in the A-League Women's currently. Jessica Nash and Jamila Rankin as your fullbacks, and then Elise Kellen Knight screening in front of you with alana murphy there as well
1: two words two words to what you just described ovarian mouse all right it's it's straight power mate it is it is something to be excited for no matter the context melbourne victory they're not necessarily bringing like a flashy exciting squad where there's all these different elements coming in They're bringing an exciting squad in that you look at it on paper and you know exactly what it is and you know exactly what you're going to get. And you're just ready to see them playing footy. You're just ready to see them being at the peak of their powers, being a very, very exciting team. How the hell, how the hell did we get so many former Matildas all stacked up into one A-League side? Just, you're just brimming with excitement. Nuts. Look, you know what you're going to get.
0: And then you look at other areas of the pitch. Um, obviously, uh, what, uh, mumbling my words here. Obviously, Melina Ayres has the part of the club. Why Malkowski is all they've let go. So originally there was a chance of, okay, who's going to score the goals this season, and then they go and sign Correa Aquino. 30 goals or so in the NPL Victoria this season.
1: Yeah. Someone right, has right, kind right, of right come out... get rid of Melina Ayres.
0: Yeah. And now you've possibly gotten the best striker outside of the A-League coming into your club. Like, that's... they. they, they this is a side that is primed to really challenge Sydney FC this year. I've, I I've I've said it about a few sides today and it's because I just generally love all the teams in the early women's especially this season I think a lot of sides have recruited well this season and considering the talent is kind of spread out a little bit further with an extra team coming in each side still seems to have improved maybe yeah. bar Adelaide United but this is a team that I am really really excited about
1: and it's it's a good way to sort of wind up this sort of part one of the of the squad uh sort of previews because honestly Cody something that is just really sticking in my head is this whole idea of something that I concocted last season of there being a big three or a big four in, in Australian women's football. fact of the matter is, victory can have a lot of turnover. Sydney can have a lot of turnover. Sydney can have a lot of turnover. All three of them, all three of them are still freaking amazing. They're, they're able to recruit well. They're able to put, you know, goals on the board from other competitions around the country. They're able to give us a squad that we can look at and be confident in, and they're able to do it consistently. It is, it is the very fabric and the DNA of a champion side and a side that you know will be just awesome no matter what. That's why I carry on about there being a big three. Okay. Western United, we don't know if they're going to build that legacy, but they still technically are part of a big four, especially when it came to their dominance last season, right? So when you, when you, when you pile all that in, you look at it from very much of the dynamic of it being a being a closed shop and victory is just proving that proving that with the ability that they can knock on the door of a KK or a Gelnick or a Williams and just be like, Hey, we've got this project. Come be a part of it. And they're saying, hell yeah. Yeah, of course, of course we want to come play for victory. Not just because it is this big institution and a famous football club, but, but because it's just, it's one that in a woman's sense has had the program that just has the DNA that just can win and, and be a big club and be a contender no matter what. Maybe they haven't gone out and won championships all the time. We, we know that it's taken it's taken a bit of luck to get to that point with the lottery of Finals. But they have it in their DNA to be there and be a champion side and challenge no matter what. Victory are the embodiment of that, and you can just see it in the way that they've recruited this season.
0: You talk about those players coming in, I've spoken about a fair bit of their side, and I hadn't even mentioned Emily Gilnick yet, who could arguably be the star girl of this team. So It just shows how well-rounded this team is in terms of just general quality, depth, squad size. There's the makings of a championship-winning side. You talk about best-case scenario. Best-case scenario for them is winning the league and winning the league comfortably. The only question will be, you know, in recent seasons, the only problem that they've had is really trying to keep everyone fit. If they can do that this season, they're looking scary. If they can't, you know, each season they struggled with injuries, they've had everything thrown at them that could possibly derail them, and they still end up in that top four. So you'd say worst-case scenario for them is still top four.
1: Yeah, this is this is actually where I am going to disagree, and I am actually going to set the bar a bit lower. Okay. Because we understand very well in men's football um, that there is a very big systemic problem coming into Melbourne Victory. The reason why I pose this now to you, Cody, is that with the sort of takeover of 777 and all those big controversies that you have going on at the club? For the first time ever, we're going to have the biggest women's league season ever. We're going to have eyeballs on the women's program. We're going to have eyeballs on players like uh, like KK Gelnick and Williams in particular, as former Matildas and as people that have just spent the last month on our television screens. People know who they are. Is that over? Uh, saturation of attention and any controversies ongoing with Melbourne Victory's administration and their club that could happen between now and the end of the 2024 season, is that going to be something that can really seriously derail this club? I think yeah. I think yes. I I I think think we we could look at a team that builds itself up to the point where they win the league and they win it comfortably, but their trough trough as a direct result of this could be set very, very low. Uh, And this is actually where, unlike City, Unlike Sydney, I think this is a team that if things really go bad, they can miss the finals. Uh, and I, I I don't know why I get the inkling so strongly with that, but I just am looking at the state of Melbourne Victory as an organisation as a whole, and I, I can see something maybe going a bit wrong there.
0: I don't... Look, I see what you're saying. I think that might be an issue for the men's team because when attention's put on a club like that, Usually, it's the men's team that ends up on the spotlight. Yeah, the women's team is going to get a bit more of a share of that spotlight when it comes to players like uh, Lydia Williams, Emily Gilnick, has come back into the side. But in terms of situation like that, I don't think they'll be dragged into the situation, into that kind of scenario, mainly because it's probably a blessing and a curse. It's probably not the nicest thing to say about them. But when people talk about the controversy and they go, yep, this club's under fire, they do tend to only focus on the men's team. Whether that's right or wrong, that's for other people to decide. But in reality it could also be um Melbourne Victory Saving Grace in that regard, where these controversies may happen behind the scenes, but the women's program where, you know, you don't always get that same media attention could kind of slip under the radar and all all of that, and they could still go and do their thing. And let's be real, their thing is very, very good. So I don't know if they'll get dragged into that. If they do, yeah, look, you're right. Maybe the worst case scenario is the club really takes it down with spiral this year. But I look personally. I can't see it happening.
1: Yeah, f- fair enough. I just I, I feel like this is the one thing in women's football where the the unknown with seven seven partners as an owner, some real freaky things go on. I think and, it's and it's also thing th- with regards a- to to any measure that they could take with regards to cost cutting or anything like that. I'd actually be in a position to say that the women's program is where you go first. Okay. Yeah. Look, you're so talking about cost cutting, but I
0: don't think cost cutting is going to be a thing that happens this season. I think you're no, looking no, a no, bit I'm further just, down the line saying, for that.
1: I'm just saying you, you never know how these things. I'm just, I know, I know what I know about seven, seven, seven. I'm just, this is Melbourne victory we're talking about. We have to address this. And, uh, and let's be honest. Let's be honest. The, the women's program could, could, could be a, a big part of that. So I don't
0: know. I think it'll be interesting now that the spotlight is slowly being pushed onto women's football how a women's side does kind of get embroiled in club controversies because it's never really happened in the past. It's not something that's really been a big feature of women's football, I guess, where you talk about, you know, things going wrong with owners and stuff, and the women's side doesn't really get dragged into the conversations that it's usually. I think the biggest thing I can say right now is, um, if you talk about Chelsea, where they've got an owner that, you know, maybe isn't trying to script the club of its assets, but it's just really stupid and doesn't know what he's doing. And it's like, oh, look, what's happening? The men's team's going down. They're going to struggle, yada, yada, yada. But then the women's team's on the side and it's like, oh, yeah, we're just going to go and keep winning the the league. And they could probably do that in WSL this season. So
1: it's interesting
0: now because in terms of Australian football, we do tend to put a lot more focus on our women's sides and what Premier League sides do compared to their WSL teams. So it may, I may be looking at it in a different, I may be looking at it in a different light to what could actually occur this season. I could be wrong. I'm definitely happy to take that on the chin. I just can't see happening. I don't think it's going to be a major issue. And I think if you're talking about cost cutting, that's probably a conversation we have in 2024 for the 2024-25 season.
1: Maybe so. Maybe so. I'm happy to leave it at that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, look, fair enough. But, um, we're going to slowly wrap up this podcast, but Matt, I've got one question for you and it's very pertinent considering what we have seen. Over the last few months or so, what can we expect from the A League Women's this season? And how does the league look in a post World Cup world?
1: I, I am, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to bring out the tears. We're not at that stage, but. Not again. We are, we, are, we already know by the numbers that they're going to play, they're going to play more games at, um, bigger stadiums they're going to be playing games, you know, for good TV audiences, they're going to be playing games uh just with more attention, more eyeballs, more of an understanding of the fact that the A-League women, it's been here longer than the AFLW, it's been here longer than the NRLW, it's been our one consistent women's competition, national women's competition, it's ever existed in any sport. So, you know, let, let's just bring on what we're about to see, because much like that buzz we got when we realized oh my god we're hosting a world cup oh my god we just made a home semi final that buzz is going to be hitting us when we see five figure a league w crowds it's going to hit us it's going to hit us in a way that it's it's never really hit us before uh and and that excites me above all else really cody because knowing what this competition has always been capable of and knowing what it's finally been able to build itself into i'm yeah i'm really looking forward to seeing what's uh that initial bump within the first two to three rounds has, um, and then obviously, you know, things will peter, peter out as they always, unfortunately, naturally do, um, in Australian domestic football. But that, that, those are the initial rounds, seeing some crowd records broken, um, and knowing that they, they did it over in New Zealand as well for the, for the women's team, uh, and they'll be capable of getting out there and doing it again. It'll, it'll really, really excite us, uh, knowing what this competition could build itself into.
0: I'm really excited for that round one city derby because, looking at how they've set up the ticket allocation it looks like they're only going to sell out the low. they're selling the lower bowl which probably means they're not expecting more than 20,000 but and 20,000 is a very very ambitious number to be fair but if well, you're
1: talking about a competition we're talking about a competition where like 6,000 would be seen as mind blowing and you just said 20,000 all- people are expected to attend the game i didn't say
0: they were expected to i said that's the amount of tickets that they're selling so they're not expected yeah, 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 to go above that
1: that's what I'm saying, bro. Like, it's already, it's already so insane to think about. It's well, that's what so I mean. Insane.
0: Usually for a game in a in a stadium like that, they'll only sell out the lower stand on one side. They've got the whole lower bowl available for purchase this time around. And I think even the top stands behind the goals even possibly. So they're, they're anticipating a large crowd. If you can get 15,000 into Allianz Stadium, that doesn't sound like a lot considering it's a 40,000-seater venue. But... The scenes of that for a women's football competition in Australia, if you see both actives pumping as well, you're gonna create some you're gonna create an atmosphere there that's gonna make people want to come back as well. I think that's the most telling thing. If you're talking about that you're talking about that one you're talking about that round one and two bump and then it petering out. If you can harness people's interest in those first two rounds, we may be in a situation where it doesn't peter out. Yeah.
1: Well, I'll hold off on the, on that side of it because I still think there'll be a lot of casual interest. So I don't necessarily think that we're going to be recording consistent five five k <laughs> bigger crowds. I think it's a five k
0: awesome. is five k is pushing it. But if you can average three k this season, that's still massive.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, there are there are still going to be a lot of games here that are at community grounds. I'm thinking Western United. I'm thinking Perth. have basically said that they're not interested in going to HBF Park. They're going to be at Macedonia Park the whole season, which is fine. Um. Uh, Macedonia Park holds a special place in my heart. It's where I I had my debut as a journalist, and it's where I'll look forward to going for another summer of football. So I'm I'm not going to complain with that. Um, but you know I I just I I am realistic that the ALW is just going to want to slow things down and not try to build itself up because the last thing they want is a spark that kind of flutters out, right? They do want to time this well. They will want a healthy grand final attendance, for example. So come. You know, January, February, we want to be having this conversation again. And I just think that the, uh, the APL will be very mindful of that. And, uh, and they'll want that spark to continue for as, for as long as it can. Um, the second thing I'll say to this is we're, we're talking about a, a competition where, okay, 15,000 seems like a very humble crowd, but the ALE, uh, sorry, the ALE, the AFL and NRL grand finals in the women's competition. They still have to go and play at training grounds and things and things like that. Like, yeah, they've, I think they maybe got like 30,000 to the Adelaide Oval once, but that was, that was once. And the competition's been around for a few good years now. I think they're in the sixth or seventh season of the AFLW. So apples and oranges, that's our, that's our season opener. So no grand final. It's our season opener. And we're expecting 15,000 to 20,000. Cody, massive.
0: Not just that, but it's also the fact that AFL and NRL are by far and away our major sporting competitions in Australia. With no disrespect to the sport of football, where we don't have that same pool power. So if we're getting numbers like that for women's football, where we're competing with the NRL and AFL, that's it's nuts. Um, it You talk about the APL and how they're able to kind of keep this thing alive. Interesting question for you before we kind of finish up. The new independent chair, what role does he have in that?
1: I don't want to talk too much admin now, because I know that something's about to hit the fan. Whether it actually, you know what, you know what, you know what, I shouldn't say there's a shitstorm about to come. Maybe we can have more of an admin conversation when, say, Magic Round is announced and the grand final is removed. Whether we believe those rumors yet or not. But, I'm just saying the admin conversation, the admin conversation's coming in a big way. It's the A-League, Cody. We've been doing this. We've been doing this for decades now. Okay, you can't. <laughs> you, we can't have this conversation right now. Look, I, I think that whatever the APL are doing at any one set level, there is individuals there that previously weren't football people that are now football people, okay? So even if they fuck up in a big way, they still have football's best interest at heart. Where Danny Townsend did it and said, money, 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 and everyone went, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> you know, you, you, you've you've got to be more sensible. But at least the one thing that I'll say, and I I may be murdered for this, but when Danny did that, he still had football's best interest at heart. He was still trying to do it, football, this is football people doing football things right, let's strip it back, let's look at people like the the Richard Scudamores of the world who they're still actually trying to produce a very natural football product and let's just see them on face value and believe them for for who they are, okay because I know that a lot of this management a lot of this admin stuff, it changes changes a lot in our game but now more than ever and this is why the, the stuff with Robbie Slater just pisses me off to no end, you know because like no, we we don't need to to change things back to the way they were. We don't need any of that drastic change. We just need to build it as a slow process over time, and be- and believe that football people are working in football's best interest.
0: Fair enough. It's a nice way to end it, I think. Um, for everyone listening, once again, thank you guys so much. We are very very excited to be back, and we will be back again in a fortnight to wrap up the last six sides that we haven't gone through today. Obviously, talk about any other than major news that kind of goes into the league we will be back which is before the season starts going through our ladder predictions as well we've obviously gone with best case worst case scenario so far sides still need to be finalized squads still need um, squads still need to be finalized signings still need to be made we don't necessarily know how sides are going to look this time in a fortnight so you know maybe some of those sides we've spoken about already may look a lot better or may- maybe maybe look a little bit worse can't imagine a bit too drastic i know the transfer windows closed so can't imagine a lot of people are leaving yet but, alas, that is where we end it. If you've enjoyed it, uh, give the Front Page Football Podcast Network a five-star rating. It does help us a lot. Be sure to follow our socials, uh, Front Page Football on Instagram, Front PG Football on Twitter. Christian, if I've got those names wrong, please don't shoot me. Um, you can also follow us too as well, MG MGAlson on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Cody10Jita on uh, Instagram and Twitter. You can follow any new, anything that we break, any articles we write. We're both pretty active in the women's space as well, so if that's your interest. Be sure to give us a follow and follow our work and also any women's football news that comes around on Front Page Football as well as any general Australian football news. Uh, that is all that we have time for today. Has been a long episode, but hey, that's pre-season for you. Matt, got any final words?
1: Yeah, uh, just in, keep, keep enjoying yourselves, enjoy any football that comes our way and uh, have a good one.
0: How exciting is The football season is finally almost upon us. I know it started overseas, but who cares about what's going on overseas? We want to know what's going on in our own backyard. I've been This has been Frontpage Dub. Hope you've all enjoyed it. We will see you in the next one. But until then, bye for now.